that he must never be disturbed in his study before eight in the evening. He was aware of Maria standing there, one shoe off, terror on her face, and then she was pulled to one side and the Cretan appeared, the silenced gun in his hand. It coughed once. Max Cohen had been a boxer in his youth, and for a moment it was like being back in the ring, a good solid punch in the face that knocked him clean off his feet, and then he was on his back in the study. His lips tried to form the words of that most common of Hebrew prayers recited by any Jew, the last prayer he utters in death. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the words refused to come, and the light was fading very fast now, and then there was only darkness. As the Cretan ran out of the front door, the first police car to answer the call turned in at the end of the street, and he could hear others approaching fast. He darted across the garden into the shadows and clambered over a wall into another garden. Finally, he opened a gate to let himself out into a narrow lane a few moments later. He pulled down his hood, removed the balaclava helmet, and hurried away. Already his description, obtained from the maid by the crew of the first police car on the scene, was being transmitted over the radio. Not that it mattered. A couple of hundred yards and he would be lost in the greenness of Regent's Park straight across to the underground station on the other side, change at Oxford Circus. He started to cross the road. There was a squeal of brakes, a voice called, Hey, you! It was a police car. One quick glance told him that. And then he dodged into the nearest side street and started to run. His luck, as always, was good. For as he ran along the line of parked cars, he saw a man up ahead getting into one. The door slammed. The engine started. The Cretan wrenched the door open, dragged the driver out head first, and jumped behind the wheel. He gunned the motor, swinging the wheel, crumpling the near side wing on the car parked in front, and drove away quickly as the police car roared up the street after him. He cut across Vale Road into Paddington. He didn't have long if he was to lose them, he knew that, because in seconds every police car in that part of London would be converging on the area, sealing it up tight. There was a roadworks sign, an arrow pointing to the right, which didn't give him much choice. A one-way street between warehouses, narrow and dark, leading down to Paddington Goods Station. The police car was close now, too close. He increased speed and saw that he was entering a long, narrow tunnel under the railway line. Then he noticed a figure up ahead. It was a girl on a bicycle. A young girl in a brown duffel coat, a striped scarf around her neck. He was conscious of her white, frightened face as she glanced over her shoulder. The machine wobbled. He swung the wheel, scraping the near side wing against the tunnel wall so that sparks flew. It was no good. There just wasn't the room. There was a dull thud, no more than that, and then she bounced to one side off the bonnet of the car. The police car braked to a halt sharply. The Cretan kept on going, straight out of the end of the tunnel into Bishopsbridge Road. Five minutes later, he dumped the car in a side street in Bayswater, crossed the Bayswater Road, and walked briskly through the trees across Kensington Gardens, emerging at Queen's Gate. There was quite a crowd when he crossed to the Albert Hall and a queue up the steps to the box office, for there was an important concert that night. The Vienna Philharmonic doing the St. Anthony Chorale by Brahms, with John Michali playing Rachmaninoff's Concerto No. 2 in C minor. 21 July 1972. The Cretan lit a cigarette and examined the picture of Mikali on the poster. 
The famous one with the dark curly hair, the pale face, the eyes like clear black glass. He walked round to the rear of the building. One of the doors had an illuminated sign over it which said, Artists. He entered. A doorkeeper in his booth glanced up from his sports paper and smiled. Evening, sir. Cold tonight. I've known worse, the Cretan said. He descended to the corridor leading to the back of the stage. There was a door marked Green Room. He opened it and switched on the light. It was surprisingly spacious as dressing rooms went and reasonably furnished. The only thing which had visibly seen better days was the practice piano against the wall, an old upright chapel which looked in imminent danger of collapse. He took the Mauser from his pocket, opened a dressing case, removed the base panel and stuffed the Mauser inside out of sight. Then he took off his anorak, tossed it into the corner and sat down in front of the dressing mirror. There was a knock on the door and the stage manager looked in.